Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. Uh, I'm going to read from um, 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. It says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. So, Father, we just ask you to bless uh, this message and touch your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you on the thought of uh, overcomers or being an overcomer. And... Uh, I feel like this is an important message, and it kind of goes along with what we spoke about a little bit last week about not giving up on things, uh, because there's so many people that uh, they one side of the spectrum feels like that the Christian life is nothing but a life of defeat after defeat and being oppressed over and over again. Uh, and uh, we are going to suffer through things, but at the same time, we're to have joy and we're to have peace and we're to have all these other things as well. We're to be victorious even through the sufferings that we do go through. And then you have another group and they act like everything's supposed to be perfect. And if you have any kind of trial in your life at all, you must be doing something wrong. And uh, if you're going to be an overcomer, whether you know this or not, you're going to have to overcome some things to be an overcomer. So we're all going to face trials. We're all going to face uh, problems. But some people act like if they are having an issue in their life that they've missed God somehow. And if they don't believe it, there's two or three people in the church that can convince them it's true, even when it's not, that there must, there's, must be something wrong. But we're all going to face these things, and we're supposed to be overcomers. And because a lot of people don't know, you know how to face adversity, you get this mentality in the church, and maybe you've had it before or you know some people or been around some people that had it, but it seems like they look to death as their Savior more than they do Jesus as their Savior. They just want to hurry up and get out of this horrible world because they just can't handle it. It's just, it's just so bad. But Jesus is our Savior, not death. Now, I'm all for Christ returning as soon as possible. Even so, Lord, come quickly. But until he returns, we've got a job to do. We've got a mission that we've been given. And to do that, we're going to need to be overcomers. We need to understand how important uh, it is uh, to be in the family of God and in the kingdom of God and what a big deal that it is uh, to be children of God and to be those that he's chosen to carry his name and to represent him uh, around the world. But many times we don't. We just kind of get this small mentality uh, and, and, you know, I've been talking about doing little things. It's not about trying to do something big, but realizing how big the little things are that, that we do. And so I want to read something to you. And uh, I don't remember when, but a couple of weeks ago, I was talking about how every book uh, during this time period had supernatural in the title. And this one has supernatural in the title, too. But it's uh, from the book by Chris Valton called The Supernatural Ways of Royalty. 
Uh, it's a really good book. I read it, and then I let someone borrow it and forgot who I let borrow it, so I bought another one, and I read it, and, uh, and now I didn't give it away at all. I put it up because I was not going to ever give this book away again, and now I can't find it, so I bought another one. And so I'm probably going to read it a third time, but the, the, my favorite part of this book is the introduction. The book's amazing, but the introduction I've read at least 20 or 30 times because it just kind of paints a picture for me that I'm, I, I, don't, I don't see things the way that I should a lot of times. I don't use my imagination the right way. I'm like anyone else. A lot of times, I, unfortunately, I allow the enemy to use my imagination more than I do the Lord about seeing how, uh, how big this kingdom is that we're a part of. And so I want to I read this to you, and I've read this before in messages, but it says, uh, Paupers the Princes, the Tale of a King. Pauperhood is relegated to the children of a lesser God. It is the condition of slaves who have yet to discover their freedom on the other side of the river of baptism and who find themselves still captured by the dark prince of torture and torment. He is the one who assigns them to a life of poverty, pain, and depression, through a diabolical play of illusion, hoping to conceal their true identity forever. This evil prince feeds his captors the rations of religion to fill their soul's hunger for righteousness. These slaves, blindfolded by their sin, think that they are laboring for their own freedom and work to pave their way out of prison with bricks built from the miry clay of self-righteousness. Yet unknowingly, brick by brick, they are erecting their own chambers of death. Worse yet, these give birth to offspring of the same darkness, ultimately creating legacies of bondage with the mindsets of hopelessness. But on a hill far away, a lamb turned lion descended into the death camp through the porthole of Golgotha. Crashing through the gates of hell, he met the dark prince and the mother of all battles. With three spikes and a thorny crown, the captain of the host conquered the devil, eternally disarming his destructive weapons of sin, death, hell, and the grave. For sin could not tempt him, death could not defeat him, hell could not keep him, and the grave could not hold him. With watching witnesses and waiting warriors, he ascended through earth's surface. The planet quaked to release its captives while heaven thundered to receive its treasure. These were not simply rescued souls to be redeemed, but this was the crowning of the sons who were to be revealed. The Holy One of Radiance brought, rot brought rotten, ragged sinners and recreated us into His righteous reigning saints. We are not just soldiers of the cross, we are heirs to the throne. His divine nature permeates our souls, transforms our minds, transplants our hearts, and transfigures our spirits. We were made to be vessels of His glory and vehicles of His light. Others say the story is better reflected in the beautiful daughter who, is, who will ascend to the throne through marriage for she is betrothed to the Prince of Peace. The bridal chamber is beginning to be assembled. The feast is being prepared and the bride is making herself ready. Whether we are called the children of God, the engaged bride, a royal priesthood, the apple of his eye, or a new creation, one thing is for certain. We have captivated the heart of our lover who is leading a majestic entourage, for he has mounted his white horse and is making his way toward the planet. Meanwhile, back on earth, God's people are, are rising in this present darkness and beginning to shine. His royal army is spreading the king's glory all over the earth as we take dominion of this planet back from the defeated one. Equipped with the light of the Father, his sons are finding buried treasure in the hearts of men that was once covered by rocks of offense, thorns of treachery, and relics of religion. Armed with the power of the Holy Spirit and commissioned to represent the king's son, 
We are healing the sick, raising the dead, and displacing devils. This is resulting in paupers becoming princes and the kingdom of this world becoming the kingdom of our God. So I don't know if you've ever been able to picture it that way in your mind before, but I never have until I come across this book. But I wanted to share that with you because being a Christian is not a game. In fact, it's a really big deal. It's serious business, and we have been honored and privileged to be chosen by the King of Kings. And we're part of something huge. We all have a role that we play. And see, we're armed with the Holy Spirit, and we're, we are commissioned to not only represent the King, but unfortunately we also need to represent the King because he's been presented in such a bad way for so many generations by people who meant well, but just like it says, had been fed the rations of religion instead of going after the righteousness of Christ. And so our goal should be and needs to be to make Jesus famous everywhere that we go. In every city that we're in, all over the world, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so to do that, we have to start believing that we are who he says that we are. We are children of the king. We are heirs to the throne. We are part of something special doesn't matter what the enemy's told you all week or what your past is telling you right now. What I just read to you is the truth. I mean, the kingdom that we're a part of, we can't even imagine it. We can't even grasp it. This, that, if this sounds exaggerated to you, it's not even close to what reality really is. What we see around us is not reality. This, this, every, the, the spirit is more real than what we see in the physical, and we can't even comprehend it. We have to start doing what he says we can do, and not only what he says we can do, what he told us we are to do. So we have to answer the questions, are we or are we not Christians? We're so worried about offending people. We're so worried about what someone might think. Do we or do we not serve the one true living God? Yes. We know the answer is yes. We should also know how this thing ends. We're going to win. It's already won. We're victorious. We are overcomers. And so I want to read this scripture one more time for today. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? We're overcomers. John 16, says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. The key is in Christ to all things. It's always going to be in Christ. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So even though we're going to go through sorrows and trials, as long as we stay in Christ where we belong, where we're supposed to be, we can have peace. And Jesus said that he has overcome the world, and because he has overcome the world, we are now overcomers. So when you're born again, you, we become part of the body of Christ. So if he's an overcomer, we're an overcomer. That's why he made us members of his body. If he's overcome the world, then that means that the lowest, the least member, it doesn't matter. The enemy can tell you how uh, small you are, how pitiful you are, and you can even agree with, that's fine, but I'm still part of the body of Christ, and the lowest part of the body of Christ is still superior to the highest principality or power of darkness that we're going to face in this world. It doesn't matter. I'm glad to be part of the body of Christ. Now, the Bible's clear that we're going to have trials, we're going to have problems, but we can still rejoice. We can still have peace because we're overcomers through 
Jesus. So what are some of the things that we're going to face? What are some of the things we're going to have to overcome? And that's what we're going to take a look at. And I'm not going to read it, but if you want to go back and read it this week, and we'll be looking at the last two chapters of the book of Acts and look at one of the great overcomers of the Bible, the Apostle Paul, and uh, point out three things that we're all going to face as we move forward in the destiny that God has for us, the callings that he has for us. We're going to have to, we're not just going to face them, we're going to overcome them because we're overcomers. And so as we step out of our comfort zones and we step into what God has for us and we step out in faith, we're going to face storms, we're going to face snakes, and we're going to face skeptics. The same three things that Paul faced in these chapters. So God had told Paul that he was going to go before Caesar. And so uh, here we find Paul, even though he's a prisoner on this ship, he's on a mission for God. He has a purpose. And he's told them that they don't need to put the ship out to sail, but they don't listen to any of his warnings, and they find themselves in a storm. And we're all going to go through storms. We're going to go through storms of fear, storms of doubt, storms of discouragement. Uh, most of us are going to face storms of sickness, storms of loss. Any, it could be all kinds of things. And see, the devil wants nothing more than to get you to stop before you even get started. And maybe he's been successful before. Maybe you've seen it with other people. But they, God lays a passion or a burning desire on their heart. One person says it can't ha that they can't do it and they just believe it and they, just, they quit before they ever get going. And that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to quit without conquering. But that's not. we're more than conquerors. We are overcomers. So we don't need to give up. We don't need to quit. We don't need to let discouragement set in. The bigger the storm, the bigger the breakthrough. Don't let the storm discourage you. Just keep going on in faith and don't lose hope. We also need to remember to encourage one another. When we see our brothers and sisters going through a storm, we don't need to just say, oh, man, that's, that's bad for them. Encourage that, that person. Um, a lot of times what we do uh, is even worse than not encouraging them is we judge them in the middle of their storm. We were kind of like, well... It's, now I'm not surprised something like that happened to them. You know, they've always had a bad temper or they've always they or they've never done this like they should. You, you know how it starts. And and uh, when I was thinking about this last night, uh, I started thinking about Adam and Eve. Have any of you ever given Adam and Eve a hard time? You know, I, we've all been aggravated with them for what they did. But sometimes you just you know, kind of even spoke out against them about their decision that they made in the garden. And uh, so I want you to just give me a second for this garden picture for a minute. So there was two trees that they weren't supposed to eat. Everybody remember the story? It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. Now, I know they weren't supposed to eat from either tree, but I want you to think about what the knowledge of good and evil actually gives you the ability to do. Before, like a little kid, they don't understand what's right, what's wrong, like, you know, like a socially or anything like that they don't understand they don't understand you're not supposed to pick your nose in public they don't understand that you know what just little things they don't understand oh they don't understand that that's not sanitary uh that, or that that's gross or whatever there's no uh nothing bothers them that's because they don't understand the knowledge of good and evil what's right and what's wrong once you understand the knowledge of good and evil that's when you become a judge and so really the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in a sense, you could say it was a tree of judgment. And because as soon as they ate of the fruit and they understand what was right and what was wrong, Adam immediately said she did it first and started judging Eve, right? Immediately he started to judge. 
Uh, immediately, they, every, all the things that they did became from a heart of judgment. And ever since then, we've been struggling with this. But we give Adam and Eve such a hard time. But every day, you and I have that same choice. Again, I know they weren't supposed to eat from either tree. But every day when you find out something that's going on, a circumstance or situation, you get to choose whether you're going to eat from the tree of judgment or you're going to eat from the tree of life and speak encouragement over someone or over a situation. And so even though we give Adam and Eve this horrible time about how silly their decision was, why didn't they choose the tree of life? I don't know why they didn't, but, but when you think about it, the question really is why aren't you choosing the tree of life? I choose the tree of judgment way too often. I, I, I'm wondering if I've even got it down to it's not a daily basis. I'm probably still choosing it on a daily basis about things that I see and hear about. I mean, it's just so easy to do for some reason. But you have the choice too. Will we choose life or will we choose judgment? When you see someone going through that storm, which one are you going to choose? See, we're all different. It might be what might be a terrible storm for me doesn't even bother you. What could be a real struggle for you is nothing to me. But that doesn't mean I'm supposed to choose the, the wrong decision. I'm still supposed to, supposed to choose life and encourage my brother or, or sister or whatever they're going through. Now, I don't always do it because I'm not perfect. Heather's working on me and the Holy Spirit. But, <laughs> but we, we have this thing where we forget what other people are dealing with. Uh, when I was... Uh, younger playing a lot of volleyball tournaments I'm a very small volleyball player and I was playing with this this guy he was the best player in Fayetteville at the time he had was coming back from a knee injury and he was this was kind of like he was playing some tournaments to get back to where he used to be and he asked me to go play this tournament with him in Wilmington and so we go down there now he's a, he's a little over 6'2 and his job was pretty much to stay in shape so this guy was ripped and uh, I am not. <laughs> I was really, I was a lot skinnier back then. So, I mean, I had ribs instead of abs, but he had everything else going on. And uh, so we go play this tournament. Now, on a volleyball net for men is eight feet high. And if I reach as high as I can, I got really short arms. I'm eight inches from the top of that net. He reaches up, and he's about two or three inches over the net, you know, without jumping. So that means in order for me to do anything like him, I've got to jump at least 10 inches higher than he jumps. And his whole job staying in shape. He jumps really well. And so we're playing this tournament, and we get in this tight game, and, and uh, there were some guys heckling him that were really good players. And uh, he starts getting nervous we might lose. And so, of course, it was all my fault. And uh, this, there's a couple plays where he could have done something very simple because of his size and just jumped up and smashed the ball off somebody's head. I can't do that. And he's upset with me about what I can't do, what's difficult for me. And he starts uh, telling me what I need to do better. And so I've had just about enough. And I turn at him and I just tell him to shut his mouth that I'm doing everything I can do, that maybe if I was six foot two and could reach over the net, I would do what he's saying, but I'm only five nine and I'm giving it all I got, so you just have to relax and get off my back. And immediately, he, it's like a switch went off. He looked at me with this puzzled look and he said, I hadn't even thought about that. He's, I don't know how he didn't think about it. And he said, 
Then it was all this, you're doing great. You're playing so good. I, I just, oh, just the rest of the day, he told me how amazing I was. And we ended up winning the tournament. But uh, he was just, sometimes when people get stressed in their own lives, they want to look around and find somebody else that's going through something and think about everything they're doing wrong instead of thinking about, how, he never thought of how can I help Aaron out. It was always what does Aaron need to do better? And see, we get that same attitude with each other. We see someone that's struggling and we're so quick to pick the wrong tree and judge them and criticize them without ever thinking of how tough that storm might be that they, they find themselves in right now. Maybe they aren't as strong as you. Maybe they don't have the support system that you have. Maybe they haven't realized who they are in God yet. Just because somebody's saved doesn't mean they've realized actually who they are in Christ. Maybe the storm that they're going through has gotten a lot worse and nobody knows about it. Maybe it's not as simple as you think that it is. A lot of storms get worse, but we have to stay determined and not quit because that's what happened to Paul. His storm got worse. And so it destroyed the whole ship. And now he's in the water, but he didn't quit. He stayed focused. He was on a mission. He was determined. He kept swimming or floating or whatever he was doing, and he didn't worry about the ship. He stayed focused on fulfilling what God had called him to do. See, so many times we lose our focus when things don't go the way we think that they're supposed to go. We worry about things, and they sidetrack us from fulfilling what they... We forget what the mission even is because we're so worried about the way we're going to do it. See, when the enemy tries to distract us, we have to stay focused. We need to stay focused on God and His plan, not our problems. Now, I'm sure that Paul would have rather taken the ship all the way to shore. I would have. But just because the ship went down didn't mean that he was. And it's the same for you. Whatever that ship is in your life, if it goes down, that doesn't mean you're going down. Just keep swimming, like Dory says. That was her name, right, Dory? So Paul faces this storm. And he, he beats the storm. He makes it to the island of Malta. And now he's, he's cold, he's tired, and he's wet. Sometimes after battling a storm, even when you get through the storm and you've conquered the storm, you don't always feel that great. Sometimes you're tired. Sometimes you're spiritually cold. Sometimes it's just rough. And that's when we have to do what Paul did. He started a fire. He didn't sit around and complain. At least he didn't write that part if he did. <laughs> he went to work. He started gathering wood for the fire. If you're going to be an overcomer, it's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work. And so Paul's fire's going, and he's, he's probably warming up a little bit now. He's feeling better. And then he's getting some more wood, and a snake bites him. To be an overcomer you're going to have to face some snakes. And when you're on fire for God or you're around the fire, it brings out, fire brings out snakes. Not everyone around the fire is on your side. You've probably figured that out by now if you've been going to church for a while. Not everybody by the fire is on your side. There's going to be some snakes. When you're on fire for God or your church or your family's on fire for God, it brings them out. And most people are scared of snakes. Uh, most people will can barely think rationally when a snake is anywhere in their vicinity. They just do crazy stuff. 
Uh, my aunt caught my uncle with a shotgun inside the house because a snake had gotten in the house and she had to stop him before he shot a hole in the floor. Realized that was not the best way to deal with a snake inside. That's how you deal with them outside. People do, they do crazy stuff. And it makes you not think, think clearly. You, I don't, it just brings a fear. And, um, and yes, I have a snake story. When I was, when I was 15 years old, me and my two cousins, Robert and Billy, we were going to, we were figured we were grown. We were going to do man stuff. And we were going to go catfishing by ourselves all night long. And so growing up in Gray's Creek, which was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we, we've been kind of driving cars since we were pretty young because we could drive through all the fields, not on the road, through all the fields. Uh, in fact, man, we got time. In fact, the first time I drove, I think I was eight years old. And my cousin Billy, he, he told his mom, we wanted, he said, can we take the car down to grandma's? We were going to drive through the field to get there. And she said, no, you can't drive because uh, he's two, two years younger than me. And he said, well, Aaron can. I had never driven. She said, you can drive? I said, yeah. <laughs> she handed me the keys. No, didn't even have to ask twice, handed me the keys. We go and we get in her car, and it's early in the morning. All the windows are fogged up. We don't know how to, to use the defrost. But I was well-educated from the school of Dukes of Hazard that I had been watching. So I just dropped it in the little R and hit the gas. I didn't even look. Well, her pump house stopped me. And uh, I pulled back up, and my aunt is out the back door laughing. And she said, you crazy youngins, you hit my pump house. And so we went out there, and it, it was a wooden pump house, so it just busted the front of it and slid it. We slid it back. It didn't tear up the pump or anything. And she still let us take the car. She showed me how to clean the windows, and we took off, and that's how I learned how to drive, hitting a pump house. So now it's been seven years later of me driving her car around the field, and we decided we're going to go catfishing all night. And so we set everything up that day. We get our firewood. We got my aunt's car, and everything's down there. So we get down there about 45 minutes before it's going to start getting dark, and we're just going to do some bass fishing. And, you know, we're in the country, so we all got our shotguns, and... This little irrigation pond, you could, you, could throw your, you could throw your line over the pond. It wasn't very big, so uh, there was a bed of snakes on the other side of the pond where, that we knew. We never went on that side. The place where we always went, we kept it cleared out. It was, we thought it was safe, and so it starts getting to the edge of dark, and we start seeing these snakes coming out of that little bed there. So we start shooting them, and uh, we shot about, I think it was about 11 snakes, and uh, for some reason, we thought we were still safe. We figured we had got them all. We were wrong. We couldn't wait for it to get dark to start this fire. And so we threw our catfish bait out there, and we started our fire. It's been going for a few minutes now, and then uh, these snakes start coming out, coming toward the fire. And there's two in the water. One's biting the cork, and there's two by the fire. And I've already kind of started uh, making my exit strategy of how I'm going to get out of this bank of the pond. When Billy says, don't move, I said, why not? He says, there's a snake crawling over my foot right now. So I waited, and he said, 
he's gone. Let's get out of here. So we ran. We jumped in the car. We went to my aunt's house. We told her this horrifying story of what happened to us. And she said, did you put the fire out? I said, did you not hear the beginning of the story? No, we did not put the fire out. So she says, well, y'all think y'all are such big men. Get back in that car and go put the fire out. So we did. And uh, we were just like throwing stuff at the fire to get it to go out. We left our fishing poles. We left everything. So the next day she told us we had to go clean up. We get down there. We clean up a little bit. And we decide, well, we might as well fish. And my cousin Robert, he's so, he's good at fishing, way better than me. But I don't care where you take him. You can take him in the middle of the ocean. He's going to get his line hung on something, no matter where you go. So his line's hung up in some moss, and we're, you know, we're kind of spaced out a little bit. And he jerks and jerks, and when it comes out of the water, there's a long string of moss on it. And he yells the one word he should have never yelled after what had just happened to us that night. That thing's in midair, and he yells, snake. My pole's already on the ground, and I'm turning my back. And he was so scared, because snakes will make you do silly stuff. He was so scared, he's yelling snake, but he doesn't move. It comes flying and wraps around his leg. And the treble hook from his lure, when it hit the back of his leg, he yelled, he bit me. And when he yelled that... <laughs> Before he got me at his mouth, me and Billy were in the car. I don't know how we got there. <laughs> Robert's running, worried we're going to leave him. He's so scared, he falls down, but he's still running. He's on the ground, laying on his side, running. <laughs> Billy has already got the car running, his hands on the gear shift. He's got it and driving. He looks at me, he says, do we leave him? Well, this happened in all about 10 seconds, but it felt like forever. And, I th and I, I've already, you know, my brain has clicked back into normal gear. And I said, we can't leave him. And by the time we get out, he's realized it's just moss and there's nothing going on. But, but we were done with him. He was finished. He, he said he was bit. We believed him. It was over. <laughs> but we all are going to have to face snakes. But we don't have to fear the snakes. We just face them. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And we can be just like Paul. He overcame the serpent by just shaking him off in the fire. See, when the snakes come out because of the fire, a lot of people get scared and run. Somebody gets on fire for the Lord to have some things happen in their life. They get scared to death. And the first thing they do is like what we talked about last week. They quit church. They quit going after God. They quit reading the word. They quit asking any questions. They quit hanging around the people that, are, that they were being mentored by. They don't understand it, but we don't need to run. You need to stay near the fire. See, the fire may be what brought them out, but ultimately the fire is what's going to destroy the snake. Sooner or later, they're not going to be able to keep hanging around if it's the real fire of God anyways. See, we need the fire of God in our lives. But then after facing the snake, Paul had to face the skeptics which is what me and Billy were being with Robert. We just thought he was done. They see Paul get bit, and the villagers, they're just ready to write him off. They're ready to go ahead and head back to their aunt's house and hide. They said, this man's got to be a murderer. He may have escaped that storm, but he's done something. He, you, know, you, 
it's not something's wrong here. And you can hear people if you if you take the time saying the same stuff about you and me today. When you're going through a tough time, the oh man, did you did you hear about Aaron? I heard he was going through this, or I heard oh I'm not surprised. I heard he was going through that. Well, I I knew that that. I knew he was never going to make it. I knew he, it was just a matter of time. I, I wonder what he really did for that to happen. See, we see it all the time. And then if it happens, someone maybe in uh, ministry and all, then they, they'll, they'll have a field day trying to tear down every good thing that person has ever done because of one mistake that they made or one bad decision or one slip up with something that they said. And then there are those skeptics that they're good people when they just don't even realize it. Not every skeptic's a bad person. We loved Robert. We were just going to leave him. He wasn't worth it. We weren't going to take a chance of getting bit ourselves. And so you see that with certain people. It's, it's not that they're bad people. It's not that they're not saved. Uh, uh, every skeptic's not always a snake. I guess that's what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Sometimes it's just good people. Um, that, that Like when my, when my grandma died, uh, my grandfather had, was the pastor at Cumberland Church of God, I think... By that time, he had been there over 15 years because I think he was there close to 19 years when he retired. And uh, when she, she has, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, so he's going through the storm of her sickness. And then she passes away. Uh, it was either six months or nine months later. It wasn't very long. And so he's dealing with that snake bite of losing the love of his life. And then right after it happened, there was some. they were good people too, people at the church, they left the church and they told everybody that they were leaving because uh, Brother Wilson wouldn't be able to pastor without a wife. And so they didn't think he would do a good job by himself. They didn't give him a chance to do a bad job. All the years of doing a good job with my grandma wasn't good enough. They couldn't give him a few weeks to see if he started slipping. They went ahead and left. And, um, and that, was all that, that was the only reason. Nothing had happened, no church drama, no nothing. But they just assumed. See, they let that, that skepticism get in their minds. Instead of being encouragers, they became skeptics. And uh, uh, this is what happened with Paul. See, Paul didn't do anything to defend himself. He just kept doing what he was doing, and the skeptics started changing their mind. That's what we have to do. That's what my grandfather did. I never heard him say a bad word about any of them, uh, even when I found out about this stuff later on, because I was so young when she passed away, but different things. And you know what? Most of those people, uh, some of them I don't know. I don't know exactly who they were, but some of them that I do, they ended up coming back to the church. They ended up coming back. They changed their mind. They changed what they were saying. And they were good people the whole time. But, but what would have happened if he would have tried to straighten them out? They probably would have never come back later on, no matter how good he was doing it at pastoring the church. But he just kept staying faithful and let the skeptics be the skeptics. They're not always bad people. Just keep doing what God's called you to do and they'll start changing their tune. You see, it's funny that some people, they won't support you. Sometimes even when you ask them for help, they won't help you. And they'll even say stuff to you, you, you know, you, you can't make it. You're, you know you can't do that. Or they'll, or they'll talk about you behind your back say it's never going to happen. But then when you actually believe what the Bible says and you overcome whatever it is that you're facing or you accomplish whatever it is God has called you to do, they're usually the first ones there to tell you, I knew you could do it. 
<laughs> They're the first people. I was with you the whole time. I might not have been here, but I was praying. Have you ever been around someone and you're almost positive you saw them ask someone next to them, what was his name again? And then when you come up there and say, man, I've been praying for your church, brother. You have. <laughs> you know how church people are. You know what I'm talking about. Or the favorite one when you do it, they'll say, man, we did it, didn't we? We? <laughs> you just jumped in here the last two weeks, but I guess we did. We did it. <laughs> Look, I don't know what it is God has called you to do, and I don't know what ways of storms, snakes, or skeptics the enemy's tried to get you to stop before you get started or get you to quit before you get to conquer, but don't quit. It's not your abilities. It's not your experiences, your words, or your promises that make the difference anyways. It's God's word, and it's his promises that we're going to stand on. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're on a sinking ship today in the middle of a storm, or it feels that way. Maybe your ship's already gone down. You're in the water dog paddling with all that you got. Keep doing it. Maybe you've made it through the water and you're cold and you're tired. You're spiritually drained. You're exhausted. Maybe you've made it to the fire. You started feeling better, but now you're facing those snakes and those skeptics. Be encouraged. Paul reached his destination and so will you. God will not let you down. He will not let you down. He loves you just like he loves the Apostle Paul. And even though the storm tore his ship apart, he was bitten by a snake, he had to face the skeptics, God was still with him. While he was on the island, he continued to heal the sick. He continued to perform signs and wonders and preach the gospel. And after about three months, God sent him another ship to take him to Rome, and it was an even better ship. See, God is on our side. We are overcomers. And so I just want to end today by reading you a passage from Isaiah 43. Starting in verse 2, it says, When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives because you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. Don't be afraid, for I am with you. I'm not going to do like some people when they say, you're either just come through a storm, you're in a storm, or you're about to go through a storm. I don't like those kind of prophetic words. I don't receive them when they say them and I'm out in the crowd. I'm not going to say them over anybody here. But I do know that we're going to face things in life. And I'm not saying you're going to face something next week, but every person in here, you have dealt with things and you've had the enemy come against you, and you've had him try to get you to quit, and you've had him try to tell you it was all your fault and that God doesn't care. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you, God, Lord, that we're overcomers because we're part of the body of Christ. And God, we just thank you for your love for us. And Lord, we just bring these requests before you today, God. Lord, we pray for uh, Daryl. We pray for a touch for him, God. Lord, I pray for Judy and Tommy who haven't been feeling well, God, that you would just touch and strengthen them. God, we lift up Brooke. Lord, you know every need. You know what she's going through, God. And we pray for John. We pray for healing in his body. We pray for uh, all the fluid to be gone and that his strength to come back. 
Lord, we pray for Sister Sarah. She's going to be traveling. We pray that you give her favor with uh, every part of the travel. We pray that she has a wonderful trip, an amazing time with family and friends, God, and that you bring her back safely, Lord. God, I just pray that you would just help all of us to realize no matter where we're at, whether we're facing a storm, we're facing the snakes, the skeptics, or we're facing all three, God, we need to trust in you as long as we're in Christ, Lord. There's nothing that we can't do. There's nothing that we can't overcome. There's no situation where we can't have victory, peace, and joy. And so, God, I just release that over every person today, God, that we would keep the right perspective and we would keep our focus on Jesus and all that we do. And God, it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.